Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. I've always said this, Brad. If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. Merry Christmas, Uncle. Humbug. 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 Here we are trying to do an all-question hour. Manchin <laughs> has to throw, a, forget Biden, you know, up, down, but a wrench into our plan. So now, A wrench? How, now about, a l- how about lumps of coal for Biden on, on the doorstep of Christmas? Yeah, or a hatchet to the head Trotsky style. It is bad. Yeah. Manchin loves coal. <laughs> yeah he does exactly no 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 one more appropriate to bring a lump of coal to christmas than joe manchin but wow yeah uh that was a uh that was a stunner uh really and, and apparently to the white house too gibbs because you saw saki's statement on sunday pretty unusual uh for a president to uh or for a press secretary to level a member of the Senate of their own party uh, in the way that she did. It was incredibly tough. Chop sake, you might even say. Huh, am I going to get canceled? You've probably been canceled a long time ago. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, just to be clear, I mean, in defense of our good friend, Jen. Well, I'm not criticizing her. No, no, I know, I know. But that was, she didn't write it. <laughs> no. I think I know who did. That was a statement from Joe Biden attributed to Jen Psaki. Exactly. In some ways, I get it. I'm sure they felt good after they hit send. We've all been in that place before. I do also wish they might have uh, waited an hour longer and taken a couple of deep breaths before they hit send on that. Because I think if this gets deeply, deeply personal and descends into that, then no amount of what this will do to impact the world in a better cause will make up for that. They've got to be mindful of the fact that... uh and no, you know our our progressive friends are going to be unhappy when I say this, but uh, Manchin remains the fiftieth vote, and you know he was the he was the vote the key vote for the Rescue Act. He was the uh, a key vote on several other pieces of legislation. He helped uh, on the bring about the infrastructure bill, but uh, I understand their feeling because pretty clearly they've been negotiating with him for a long time. And it's been kind of a game of whack-a-mole. And uh, he told them that he'd continue to negotiate. Uh, You know, I I believe that uh, based on my conversations. And then he goes on Fox News of all places. I know. I mean, it is such a – well, just just first of all, on the state – coincidental. Uh, yeah, totally. They never thought in Mansion World. They're like, well, we were just going alphabetical. You know, we were on. <laughs> yes, we were on ABC last week. No, it <laughs> um, one. The statement was insane. But we we've all been in that situation as staff where you really want to put the bad battery in the dictaphone and say, oh, damn it, sir, didn't get all that. I'll be back in an hour. We're we're get it for real. You know, because because Gibbs is so right. You you want to slow down a little. But I get the rage. And the Manchin guys, I mean, I'm torn on this because ideologically I'm with Manchin. I think the bill should be smaller, inflation, blah, blah, blah. And I fault the Biden guys for from the beginning. We're probably want to talk about this, asking Manchin to do what Manchin can't do, being from where he's from. But still, rules of politics. If the president of your own party, who is vulnerable during a critical midterm with the Trump Zilla looming in the distance, comes down to your vote to pass his signature domestic agenda in the freshman year, that is a hell of a time to plant an ax in his head, just yeah. on the rules of partisan loyalty for all your problems with it, which I totally sympathize with. So I'm throwing a foul flag at Manchin on just political behavior. But let me ask you guys, is just this the final, was this the final piece of kabuki and they're going to open up negotiations again? Or is it really dead? Yeah, it's really hard to read. You know, he... Obviously, Manchin leaked what he said or what people around him said was his proffer to the White House. You talk to the White House people and they say it was a shifting proffer. And if you solve one problem, then he uh, another problem would uh, arise. But uh, the fact that he leaked this and said, I was willing to vote for this. The problem is, you know, his basic uh, view is that uh, you pick a few things and you fund them 
fully for 10 years. Um, and the thing that he left off was the thing that Democrats feel most strongly about, which is the uh, child care, the, not child care, but the child tax uh, credit. I, by the way, I don't have the same, I can s- sympathize with uh, Manchin on the, or identify with Manchin on the idea that some of these things should be means tested. Uh, I don't know why, you know, uh, uh, up, you know, people up the income scale should necessarily get them. But be that as it may, I, I don't know if the, you can keep everybody on board uh, for something that Manchin would vote for. I don't know, Gibbs. What do you think? Well, look, I think this can be a remarkably clarifying event. David, I re- I'm reminded of the morning after the Massachusetts results came in, in which Scott Brown was now a senator elect uh, from Massachusetts, and how that both complicates the path forward, but it also makes it clear. And you, you, you mentioned that, I think, earlier in the show. He's the 50th senator for the Democrats. Don't tell Kamala. The only way that changes is if he becomes the 51st senator for somewhere else. Right. So that's obviously not a good path. Look, I mean, it is not ideal for what everyone wants to solve, but it's not getting done without a path that goes through him and has his uh, imprimatur on it in a heavy way. So if what he wants to do is do three or four things for 10 years, do it. Go put it in front of him. I will say this, yeah. David, I think there's a, you know, and, and everyone's going to have to ask themselves, do we want progress or do we want a campaign issue? Because let's just be clear and understand what a campaign issue means. It, it means you're putting a lot of chips in front of the, in the middle of the table, and there's a decent chance that come next year, it's only going to be a campaign issue and not an accomplishment. So I would say to Democrats, you might not get the child tax credit. It's a fabulous idea. It doesn't, you don't have to forget about it. We can come back to it's that. It's not an idea. It's actually in pl- it's been in place for the last year. So you're Yes, it's going to be an idea in about nine days. But, Gibbs is um, right, though. It's an election year, so act like it. Turn these things into clubs, you know? But I would say before you turn it into a club, y- yes, turn aspects of it into a club. Figure out what you want. Figure out $1.5 trillion, three to four things, fund them for 10 years, run them through the House and the Senate and declare victory. And then to your point, Murphy, use what you didn't get as the beginning of campaign 2022. But man, don't let your majority, even as small as it is, go to waste by trying to make it perfect. Well, I'll tell you one thing I would do. I would put, you know, maybe they can agree uh, on some package and they should pass what they can uh, agree on. What they can't uh what they can't agree on. I take those things, you know, the biggest problem with this, and we've talked about it a hundred times is an omnibus bill like this stuffed with proposals as popular as those proposals are, is just a big dirigible waiting to be shot down. Exactly. And so take the parts of it and put those up. Schumer should have a vote, you know, get everybody on the record as to whether they support pre-K for every kid in this country. Get everybody on the record to uh, on, home health care for seniors get everybody in the record on drug costs well that's the messaging point just w- the way you're rattling them off when you debate one thing at a time then you have a simple bumper sticker on each thing pre-k up or down rather than build back better which still sounds like a chain of chiropractors and nobody <laughs> knows what it is so now you know biden's needed a reset for 90 days he smothered his own i think very commendable infrastructure bill uh, by being in these fights with a lot of credit to the Democratic progressives. Now a reset is being forced upon him, and that is not a terrible thing. Um, you know, they, they can pivot and attack and break it into some stuff. And a few, I think the child care thing, they trimmed it down and did it right, could even get some Republican votes. Romney's made a lot of noises about it. So it's a much better path forward. And I think, you know, again, you've got to get something out of this. You've got to get an accomplishment. You've got to get some wins on something. Again, you're not going to solve every challenge you went into. And it was crazy to think that they were going to get a $6 trillion bill or a $3.5 trillion bill. It was crazy to think that we were going to be, we were going to have the next new deal with a 50-50 Senate and a five or four or three seat majority in the House. Take what you can get solve a challenge, make a big impact, and create a campaign. 
And that's yeah. the opportunity for Biden, by the way, because now that all the broken glasses on the floor and there's all this pearl clutching and some justifiable concern about the midterms, Biden can rise from the ashes here, get on offense and, uh, uh, you know, arrest his slide. Maybe, uh, you know, I don't know if it'll save him in the midterms or not, but it's a clear political path. Well, let me give one. It gives you one chance to, I think, to be presidential here, Murphy. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, th- this is like figure out a plan and say, this is the plan and this is what we're going with, right? Taking into account the mansion stuff. But I mean, I think the challenge we've got here to your point is if everybody gets their thing, that that gets those three or four votes and that gets those three or four votes, you're being led by a bunch of others. Go be a leader, go be president. Yeah. I will say back in uh, 2010, when we lost that Senate seat in Massachusetts. We went underground, remember, Gibbs and Obama said, we're not giving up on the ACA. Everybody said the ACA was dead. He, right. he, he, and, uh, and, but, you know, uh, he, he had a, 59 Democratic senators. He had a huge majority in the House. So he had a big margin there to work with. And uh, he also had him. I mean, and he, you know, so he went off to the Republican caucus uh, yep. in uh, Baltimore and uh, was like a chess master. He just, uh, you know, went from board to board taking questions there and it was televised. And they said, we're never inviting this guy back again because it was such a painful experience for them. He did a seven hour uh you know, session at Blair House on the ACA with all the Republicans and Democrats answering all their questions on on TV. And yeah. that's something that that Biden uh, can't do. But uh, but he you know, you do have to have a plan to come back from this. And I don't know how you uh, how and what uh, you can do. But here's what I do know. He got punked on Fox by a member of his own caucus on the thing that he calls the singular priority of his presidency. And it, it makes him look weak and, uh, which has been his problem. It's a perception of weakness is his big vulnerability, which is why I think he goes and, and, and shows, you know, cue the West wing music and go play president. Well, also he uh, give him. I'll give them a little political credit. They figured out that, well, this by Washington standards is a beltway disaster and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it is. Um, the country is all about Omicron or Omicron, whatever the hell it's called. Uh, Biden, by the way, it gave an order good, last night called. to yeah. change the name from Omicron to Mansion, but hopefully cooler heads. <laughs> mansion well. Crime. Well, yeah, it's now Mansion Crime. But <laughs> but the point is, they're, they're, he's trying to put his shoulder into that today. They're making a lot of press. They're probably going to send everybody a rapid test. They, they've you know putting good. military resources. Yeah, no, no, that's where the that's where the problem is. Every every mom in America is terrified about are the schools going to close again. So yeah, they're 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 moving his game to the middle of what's happening now. To quote the great political analyst George Carlin, uh, and that's good. It won't yeah. save him, but that is good and important, and they clearly get that. Yeah, you know, I uh, it's interesting. I I've been thinking a lot about this. I I watch Biden, and you know, anybody who's worked with Biden knows that you put a quarter in, and you can hear about Mike Mansfield and all the great. Uh, luminaries of the Senate that he worked with over 50 years and the deals that they were able to do together and all of that. And I think he he still operates under those rules. And in certain ways, he was elected because he, uh, you know, he has a regard for and experience with the institutions of our democracy. But, you know, clearly the rules have shifted. Uh, And this is a much different environment than the one in which he grew up uh, in politics. And, you know, I think he, he one of the rules was if you give your word, it's your bond. If Manchin told him that he'd keep negotiating and then went on Fox News uh, and announced that he isn't uh, and, and does it by having his staff call the White House 30 minutes in advance to tell them that he's going to do it, I'd be <laughs> yeah. pissed, too. Yeah, by the way, there's a staffer who's missing now, found floating, a body's been found floating in the Potomac. We're waiting for an ID. But yeah, no, under every rule of politics, it it was a cheap shot, crappy move. And by, I mean, Manchin could have played the strong card better. It was just gratuitous. 
uh, which is petty and stupid and, again, a flag on mansion for that. To be clear, though, David, I think you've got to make sure that what Joe Biden can't do is become or continue to be the president of the Senate. Yeah. He's got to be the president of the United States. And I think yeah. that may be that he, he may need to do this one-on-one with Manchin. He may need to just kick everybody out of the room. You know, whatever they have to do, I, I think there's a, to, to Murphy's point, there's an important moment of reset. There's a narrative grab that you can do here. And I, you know, I mean, we're obviously not in that room and we don't know how, in, in, in what disrepair or state of disrepair this is in, but I still think you can grab victory here uh, wow. if if you decide to go and do it. And you're going to have to – it means you're going to have to put your shoulder to the wheel on getting something going mansion. Then you're going to have to go sell it to progressives. But you're going to have to say, again, it, it's it's – are you going to make perfect the enemy of the pretty damn good? Yeah. Well, that's a pretty uh, – you, you've got a pretty – upbeat assessment apparently they did talk it would have been great to be a fly on that oh i'm I'm sure we'll read about it tomorrow the leakers you know i do this reminds me of one of my pet peeves it was a mistake to get rid of the sequoia the presidential yacht because what a perfect moment to load mansion in a crate of whiskey on the yacht and it doesn't come back till there's a deal you know in this instant digital age we have everybody is trying to make news one way or another and these guys don't have time to sit down without the heat of the moment, 900 reporters trying to file on the web to beat the other reporter by eight nanoseconds uh, to actually work this stuff out. Of course, uh, Manchin has a boat they could have loaded onto there. Yeah, but- well, he lives on a houseboat. Again, the Sequoia would have been perfect to work him. But uh, Biden is yesterday's man in some ways to his credit because if Biden jumps on the modern modern politics has no meaning train, then it only gets worse. The category gets worse. Uh, who needs a Democratic Trump? Yeah, I agree. And now, a word from our sponsors. Gentlemen, would you consider yourselves certified coffee nerds or maybe instead a self-prescribed coffee newbie? Either way, you need to hear about trade. Trade's goal is to make every cup of coffee your best ever. The journey to your perfect cup starts with taking their coffee quiz. Do you use a French press? Monsieur Murphy, automatic drip. (laughs) You're a cold brew person, maybe. No problem. Your answers will allow trade to pair you with the perfect coffee to fit your taste. I've been called an automatic drip. (laughs) Trade will match you to coffees you'll love from 400 plus craft coffees and will send you a freshly roasted bag as often as you'd like. And trade guarantees you will love your first match. That quiz works. On the off chance you don't, however, they will replace it with a different bag for free. What an offer. Give feedback as you sip. As your preferences evolve, your coffee matches will too. You can feel good about each cup since trade partners with more than 55 small U.S.-based roasters who are committed to ethical and sustainable sourcing. I really want you, Murphy, to take advantage of this because I'm tired of you drifting off when I give my lengthy answers on Hacks on Tap, and I think this will help you. No, when you round the 18th point, I'm ready for dental surgery. I'm so sleepy, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to have to get the coffee shot from Trade, and I'm going to check it out. So, listeners, you do that too. Right now, Trade is offering your first bag free and $5 off your bundle at checkout. So all you got to do is go to drinktrade.com slash hacks and use promo code hacks to take that quiz and start your journey to the perfect cup of coffee. That's drinktrade.com slash hacks, promo code hacks, for your first bag free and $5 off your bundle. And this holiday season, give the coffee lover in your life the gift of better coffee, too, with their own personalized gift coffee subscription from Trade. Enjoy. The thing about Manchin is, too, one is he's impervious here. I mean, I don't think he's ever running for anything again. Someone told me his numbers in West Virginia aren't all that good. I, I haven't seen a a, 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 a poll, but I, I just think um, he can't run as a Democrat because it's a presidential year and he'd surely lose there. But I'm not sure he's going to run at all. Yeah. And so uh, what he Seems, you know, now you could, the charitable thing as well, he's doing what he thinks is best for the country, and, but he sure seems to be enjoying it. 
He sure seems to be enjoying the center of attention. Yeah, that's my thing. A little too much. A little too much. I mean, I, you know, it's one thing to be a crank and vote against your president on a key bill and everything. That That's normal. But on the key vote of the first year when your POTUS is on the ropes anyway, and failure could mean Trump again, an existential threat, he 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 should have landed this thing. I give the Biden guys plenty of criticism, but still. It bears some repeating to your point, David. I mean, it, let's say he's running 11 points ahead of what Joe Biden got in his state in 2020, he'd be at 40% because Joe, Joe Biden right. got 29% in West Virginia. And look, this is a, this is Joe Manchin is looking at the political health of Joe Biden. You know, he, he's not at 29% right now in West Virginia. I can guarantee you that. Yes. And so what that means is, you know, Manchin's making, whether he's running or not, he's making a bet on where Joe Biden is. And it goes to the point of, you know, it, the desperate need for, for a reset again, you know, Kick everybody out of the room, do this one-on-one, and figure out if you can get there. Yeah. You know, the last factor, and then we should get on to the mega mailbag, the speed bag, so much to do, is don't underestimate the challenge of the reset because the Democratic grassroots in some ways are an unfortunate mirror image of the Republican grassroots. And now the big music that'll take over that noise, just turn on Twitter if you want to see what Democratic primary voters are thinking, is murder mansion. But no, 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 no. But 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 just to just to totally I, I, I get what you're saying, Murphy, but I totally disagree with this. Yeah. Joe Biden had this argument. It was called the twenty twenty primary, right? He ran against Elizabeth Warren, who in September of of 2019 was ready to be president. And then Bernie Sanders in January of 2020 was ready to be president. And the current president is Joe Biden. We had this argument among the progressives and the middle of the party or where most of the party is. And Joe Biden won and he can't forget that. He shouldn't forget that. Oh, look, analytically, I agree. But do you, you know, the, the progressives think that happened? Just judge the action and the noise. Well, we can, we can, we can run a six trillion dollar bill and let me let me just say a word about the progressives, okay? They started at six trillion. They went to three point five. They went down. They halved that again. They threw out a lot of their priorities, and they still said, "Yeah, we're on board." I mean, I can't fault people for saying, "Hey, we want people to have health care. We want pe- we want kids to go to preschool. We want to do something about." climate change because we've reached a tipping point i can't be critical of people for that all i'm saying is i'm not about the house kooks at all on this one i'm just about the noise from the grassroots it's going to be a litmus testing for a while in democratic mm-hmm. primaries will you go along and vilify man mansion's just going to be a big pro wrestling villain in the democratic yeah. world and that's going to create a lot of noise that'll that'll create a challenging environment it can be overcome but it's easy it's going to be easy to criticize mansion and everybody should but just to be Clear, David. I mean, I'm not. I'm not suggesting any of what they're trying to do is the wrong thing to do. I am suggesting that the idea that they were going to get six trillion dollars over the threshold was crazy. It was never going to happen. Yeah, no, it I understood. Was never I understood. Going but to they, my my point is, they can look themselves in the mirror and figure out: you want to make healthcare more affordable, prescription drugs more affordable, get about four hundred billion dollars for climate, and do universal pre-K. For 10 years, that's what Manchin kind of put on the table. And I bet you can get that. And the question is, are you going to do that? That's what Manchin says he put on the table. We don't know if he actually put it on the table or whether he would have actually voted for it. But, uh, you know, I think the fear the White House has to have is not that 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 the progressives and young people in particular get pissed at Manchin, but that they get pissed at him for not having gotten this done. What's wrong with saying to the Manchin deal? Yeah, we're taking that deal, and then we're going to bring up a single vote on child care. You know, and we're just play that one like we're, we're, we're hit a triple and win. The challenge is with if you do it outside of reconciliation, it takes 60 votes. I put everything in that package up for a vote individually that right. doesn't make the package. You can do that. Yeah, I, I would do that and put everybody on the record. And and Gibbs, uh, Gibbs I wasn't accusing you of being... Uh, opposed to old people, young people, vulnerable people, people who need help, and so on. Uh, He's I'm only just... opposed to old, young, and Republicans who need help. <laughs> hey, we got a mailbag. This is supposed to be the mailbag issue. Instead, it's the windbag issue. It's listener. 
All right. Thank you. All right. Jumbo Mailbag. First of all, if you have a question next year when we're back for the hacks, just email it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com, and give yourself a Christmas present. Subscribe to the Murphy and Gibbs Windbag Hacks on Tap newsletter where we do a lot of other cool stuff. It's free twice a week by email, hacksontap.bulletin.com, hacksontap.bulletin.com. All right, let's try and do something that we've never, ever been able to do, which is just do lightning round, because our crack producer, Allison Siegel, has produced a list of 40 questions. We're not going to get through all of them, but let's see how many we can get through. So let's start with Matt. Given that the U.S. will remain a two-party system for the foreseeable future, what, if anything, should the Democrats be doing to help the Republican Party rehabilitate itself and move away from the authoritarian wing of the party that seems to have taken over? Is the only answer to crush them at the polls and hope that something better emerges from the ashes? Uh, yes. Let, let's uh, a, a word from the resistance. Not a lot they can do. They shouldn't have wiped out Kinzinger, if possible. He was more important than partisan stuff. It cost him a congressional seat, but not bad. And they got to watch their loony left because that energy fuels the Trump reaction on the right. Let's see. I got a message here. Hold on a second. Oh, oh, look who popped up. Oh, my heart be still. (laughs) There she is. Hello, guys. Hey, Hey, this is tremendous. Max, reveal your mystery guest. I'm totally surprised. The Honorable Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, if it were up to Mike Murphy, your title would be different today uh, than it is. But he is your biggest fan, and we wanted to give Mike a holiday gift by having his idol appear on Hacks on Tap. So, Secretary Raimondo, uh, welcome. Holiday greetings to you. Good morning, you guys. You are two of my favorites as well, and it's really fun that I could be here with you. So happy holidays, and thank you for having me. <laughs> this you, is spectacular. You. Great job on infrastructure. Keep it going. Uh, I, uh, I'm on my second pair of tires here in L.A. from Potholes, so I have a personal <laughs> interest in this. Yes. Either fix the roads in L.A. or send Murphy some tires, will you? That's the- I'm going to well, go there's... for the roads. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go for the roads. I think that's wise. What are, You got big holiday plans? We're going home. You know, my kids still don't consider D.C. home. Neither do I, actually. So That's probably healthy. Looking... Yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. should. We're, we're passers through here. So, yeah, we're going to go home, see the cousins, see my family. It'll be great. Thanks for popping in, and thank you for being such an inspiration to us and to Mike Murphy. You, you, he, you I'm are speechless. the person. You're probably going <laughs> to when he finally makes the turn back to the Democratic Party, where his family is. Uh, it will be, I think, largely because of you. Well, I can I can deliver four primary votes in Michigan. Should you run for president in the future, which I hope you do, I will get you through the margin of error. That I guarantee. After after that, it's on you. Oh, but <laughs> Secretary, thank you so much for calling in, Madam Secretary. You should list as one of your biggest accomplishments as Commerce Secretary leaving Mike Murphy speechless. It's literally never been done before. So, yeah, uh, I am a fan of competent, centrist people who want government to deliver something. And I have said on the podcast a hundred times that you were the best Democratic governor in America, without a doubt, under any measure. So this is a fact-based endorsement of sane Democratic governance, which now in the era of Trump, who apparently, like Friday the 13th, keeps coming up through the floorboards uh, and could be back, Democrats need that. So thank you for uh, leading that fight. Thank you. Let me say, Secretary, if you can actually make Mike Murphy speechless, we're going to bottle you and keep you on the shelf here because there are there are times we really need that. So see what uh, I have to deal with here. It's unbelievable. I don't know how you do it, Mike. The abuse that you endure from these guys. Oh, it's unbelievable. You guys are great. I have to say, I've been working away in my office. This is the having a smile and a chuckle is fantastic. It's good for my mental health. So I'll pop in anytime. All right, we're we're have you back next year. Give us a, an update on infrastructure. All right, we'll let you get back to work, and I'll get back to being pummeled by Thank these you. Trotskyites I'm stuck with. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in. Merry Christmas, Happy New Merry Year, Christmas. Happy Thank you. Same same to you. Thanks, Secretary. Bye-bye. Thanks for thanks Bye-bye. for popping in. Of course.
Well, guys, you got me. That was fantastic. A reason for hope in these grim times. Gibbs and I said, what is it that we could give the man who has everything? Okay. <laughs> Voila. And just, yeah, and here, and here you oh, have it. So uh, was... she, she's, a, she's, a great, she's a great person and a great public official. And, and uh, a good, good sport her. to do that. And a, a really very good, good sport, sport to do that, yeah. And I'm telling her, she'd be a great president. All right, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. Gentlemen, happy holidays. And as you all know, and I do too, it is the season of giving. But you've already given enough to your internet service provider. Because if and you to haven't you, been Murphy. using... Yeah, well, <laughs> there's never enough, David. Uh, if you haven't been using ExpressVPN every time you've gone online this year, you're giving a lot of information to that internet service provider. Yeah, and you're not just talking about the enormous internet bill you pay every month. Every time you go online without ExpressVPN, your provider, they can see and log every single website that you visit. And Gibbs, that's not good for you. Yeah, I heard that, Gibbs. <laughs> that includes all the sites you visit, even in incognito mode, Murphy. So make a note of that. On top of <laughs> overcharging you, they're also legally allowed to sell all your browsing activity to third-party advertisers for big profits. That's why we're done giving to them. I always go online using ExpressVPN. So what does ExpressVPN do? We'll let Professor Murphy explain. The app encrypts and reroutes 100% of your network data through their own secure servers. So your provider cannot see a thing. Couldn't be easier to use, too. Simply fire up ExpressVPN on any of your devices, phone, laptop, whatever. Tap one button to connect, and that's it. And unlike your internet service provider, ExpressVPN's committed to your privacy. Their privacy policy has even been audited by third parties, so you can rest assured that your data is not being logged by anyone. You've given enough this year. It's time for you to start taking. So take back your internet privacy today. Visit expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap and get three extra months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap. They're the VPN rated number one by Tech Radar and Mashable, which I thought was about potatoes. But check them out anyway, expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap to learn more. Okay, let's, let's start whipping through these quick. Here's something from Tanner. If you were to name the three most influential politicians who were not presidents in american history wow who would they be yeah modern american history i'll I'll tell i'll give you here here's a list of a few barry goldwater yep i'd say ted kennedy just because he was such a force uh in the senate for so long and and had his imprint on so much uh, uh so many pieces of uh legislation and also represented a collaborative kind of leadership that is Missed today, and then I'll give you another one last one. Uh, Newt Gingrich, and uh, because I think that the tenor of our politics in Washington uh, changed dramatically when he rose to leadership there, and uh, the opposition became enemies and not just uh, uh, you know the loyal opposition, and it it really had a palpable impact on our politics i i agree with those i'm not sure i'd say in history but i'd throw bernie sanders in there recently galvanizing the left in the way it hasn't been since uh really the 30s uh and even though it wasn't an elected office you got to say martin luther king who reclocked racial of relations course in yeah America. you wouldn't call him a politician but yeah i would say ted kennedy and martin luther king i mean just in terms of as you said not not a traditional elected politician but somebody who understood the levers of politics and power to get uh, remarkable change Jim asks, do you think the reason Charlie Baker is not running for re-election as governor in Massachusetts is because he will run for president? Do you think he would have a chance, Murphy? Well, I'm a big fan. He's a friend of mine. I think he's not running because he saw a crazy-ass Republican primary that he didn't want to appease. I know they looked at running as an independent, but that is always tricky in a two-channel world to be the three-channel. And I know people have urged him to run for president. Uh, he, he could be a great president. The question is the Republican primary. I think he could upset in neighboring New Hampshire, 
but the press will discount it because it is neighboring New Hampshire. And then as you head into the Sun Belt, the oxygen becomes a lot thinner. So maybe he will. It's worth waging the fight, but it would be an uphill battle for sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, I think Baker was a, a, a very, very uh, a good governor, but uh, I never saw him as someone who was a great enthusiast of the politics. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's nuts to think that a guy as sane and rational as he could get through the Republican primary. Uh, I, I think he. I think your answer is right. He left because he didn't want to deal with the nutballs in the in the primary. Yeah, and he could have lost a primary. I think he would have won it, but he could have lost, and you know he would have been under daily pressure to come on, just hit the metric system, Governor. You know we need to give him something, and that's just a horrible <laughs> primary to go through. But undoubtedly, person. unlike 2016, uh, there's going to be a lane on either side of Trump, right? Um, there's going to be. More Trump uh, in a newer in the in a newer brand, and there's going to be not Trump. Uh, I think, and it's going to be a wider lane than it was for John Kasich. Well, that's that. Yeah, you know, there are some that. people who are betting on that. That's <laughs> I don't want to take the wider lane and 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 mention Chris Christie, but I think that's what he is. <laughs> that's what um, he is betting on there, and there are others. Who may? I know we have a question down below. And yeah, let me just Jake wants them. to know the same about Larry Hogan, Governor of Maryland, who's a little more of a Paul than Charlie as far as relishing that fight. I think he may well run, and he'd be a great president. Same problems. Yeah, but and he has uh, COVID right now. And we send our good wishes yep. to him, along to uh, along with Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker and all the others who have uh, who are reporting uh, that they have uh, that they have COVID right now. Let's see. Uh, Gibbs, Gibbs, number eight. What do you think of that from Ben? Uh, with their executive experience and potential to cultivate a national profile, why haven't, why haven't more cabinet secretaries used their position as a stepping stone to the presidency? It's actually... We should ask that of, of God, Gina Raimondo. Have. Look, yeah. just by being on this powerful podcast... She's launched. Yeah, we yeah. can do it. We can Look at Bullock. <laughs> He's on fire now. <laughs> yes. So, literally. Or in ashes, I don't know. You may but, see in 2024 that uh, that it works, then that it happens. You know, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's Pete at transportation with a with a big uh, with a big platform could be uh, a Secretary Marimondo, uh, Landrew, I, I they, Landrew. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's cabinet level, but no, it's but it's, analogous, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, we ought I mean, to get I, him on here. I can get the damn potholes handled, and we can launch him too. Look, I mean, I, I think these guys tend to go off and run their own departments, and in a lot of ways, they don't command the type of national press that one normally needs. But I think, you know, in a given time period, it, it could be it, it could be a useful platform right now. Yeah, you, who was the last cabinet secretary to win? Herbert Hoover. So that maybe that's what chilled it for a while. Great man. Uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, he fed Europe. Look him up. More complicated than the Hooverville stereotype, the leftist media. Anyway, you sound like um, Archie Bunker. <laughs> he was a great Secretary of Commerce. I recall it fondly. Here, John asks in the last episode, Axe and Gibbs spoke with the always excellent Bill Crystal about the Barton Gelman piece in the Atlantic. Trump's next coup has already begun. What should devoted listeners to your podcast who aren't pals or big party donors? Uh, be doing to try to preserve true democratic institutions in our country? What are the percent, uh, the potential solutions to fight off the CIP, in parenthesis, coup in progress? So we have a new, uh, uh, a new thing well, here. Well, first, of, yeah, shame on you guys for pandering for cheap common denominator ratings uh, <laughs> by bringing up that question and, and the Atlantic, which, of course, is just clickbait. Um, but uh, why don't you handle we that? You were Atlantic. on with Crystal. I I was uh, I was on assignment that day. But. Listen, man. I I, I, I in, in all seriousness, I I threw the que this this question, and I didn't write it. It was actually here, but I threw it in because I do think as the year ends, we really need to contemplate uh, these uh, you know the state of our democracy and the health of these institutions. These stories about Trump Trumpies taking over local election uh, machinery yeah, all bad. over the country is really, really uh, sobering. And, and so fighting those kinds of in, in, insurgencies, uh, the Secretary of State's races next year, 
These people have control of the election, uh, mecha- uh, you know, mechanisms in their states. We saw in Georgia how important that was. Uh, so, you know, I just think be alert to what's going on out there. And I think it's an important thing to contemplate as we look forward to 2022 and 2024. Time to pay the meter, but we will be right back. Now, let's hear from our sponsor. X! X! Hello, X! (laughs) Well, listeners, welcome to my life, dealing with David Axelrod, political genius, and, well, let's just say he is at the age where certain electronic devices in the ear canal may do him a favor, which is why I am so glad. What about the Erie? What's all this about the Erie Canal? I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) What? Get off my lawn. (laughs) That's why, thank goodness, one of our fine new sponsors is MD Hearing Aid. MD Hearing Aid is an FDA-registered rechargeable hearing aid that costs a fraction of what typical hearing aids cost. The average price of a hearing aid in America, no wonder Bernie's so mad, is over (laughs) $2,400 a pair. But their Volt Plus model is just $299 each when you buy a pair. So MD Hearing Aid was founded by an ENT surgeon who saw how many of his patients needed hearing aids but couldn't afford them. He made it his mission to develop a quality hearing aid that anyone could afford. It's nearly invisible. Their sleek design fits so well that no one will even know you're wearing it. Plus, it's rechargeable with a battery life that lasts up to 30 hours, so you can never miss what Mike Murphy is trying to yell at you. Huh? Yeah, which may be a disincentive. If if you forget to take your hearing aids off in the shower, not to worry. The Volt Plus is water resistant in up to three feet of water, which if you have that in your shower, you, you've got a drainage problem. You don't even need a prescription or a doctor's appointment. You buy it directly from them with audiologists and licensed hearing specialists available seven days a week. What's the secret? So how do they make their hearing aids so affordable? Since about 95% of people who need a hearing aid only require a few settings, MD Hearing Aids simplified the need for certain components not needed by most people. Plus, they cut out those price-hiking middlemen. MD Hearing has brought affordable hearing to over 600,000 satisfied customers. Plus, they offer a 45-day risk-free trial with a 100% money-back guarantee so you can buy with confidence. Simply put, MD Hearing Aid is way cheaper and way better. Edward in Wayne, New Jersey, says that the MD Hearing Aid is the best hearing aid he's used at any price, while Walter W. says the MD Hearing Aids are just as good as his $4,000 version. It's time to reclaim your life from hearing loss. Go to MD, like Mike and David, hearingaid.com and use promo code HACKS to get their buy one, get one, $299 each offer. Plus, they're adding a free extra charging case, a $100 value Whoa. just for listeners of Hacks on Tap. So go to mdhearingaid.com and use our promo code HACKS, or you can even call them at one 773 one three two six. Here's a question from Mike, not me, but equally wise, or at least an insightful question for you guys. And I'll I'll start with one, talking my own book a little, but I believe it. Who is a Paul that had the talent and qualities to be a great president? but just didn't get the opportunity to run and break through in a campaign due to circumstances essentially beyond their control. And, and I would nominate Lamar Alexander in 95. Tremendous governor. We were long shot. We almost made it. The great Bob Dole uh, had a stronger grip on the party. We didn't have the money to ultimately break through. But you did I think have the plaid shirts, though. Plaid on the issues, David. That's the key to success. <laughs> but Lamar was really impressive. The only ding on his thing is I wish he'd been stronger on Trump. That disappointed me. But uh, I would nominate uh, Lamar Alexander, former governor of Tennessee. What about you guys? I don't know if this counts uh, because of the tragic circumstances involved, but uh, I think had Bobby Kennedy lived, he would have been the nominee in 1968. He would have been elected president. It would have changed the course uh, of history uh, after that. So, um, you know, I was a kid, uh, you know, enthralled with all of that and handing out leaflets for Bobby uh, and uh, really believed in him. And uh, I think so. So I would nominate him. Yeah, I think that's the right. I I agree with that. I mean, I think obviously uh, terrible circumstances, but on the cusp 
you know, just moments after winning the biggest primary. And we shouldn't forget that that came after uh, losing in Oregon, the first time a Kennedy's name was on the ballot and he lost an election. I'll go with one final one for cheap ratings again. Wendell Wilkie. Whenever I want to get out of a Hollywood meeting to beat traffic, I'm like, well, I've got this idea called the Wendell Wilkie story. And then I'm out, I'm in the elevator in under a minute. Uh, but if you look him up, and there are a couple of good books about Wilkie. Yeah, there is. It, it is amazing. And he was a patriot. FDR wanted to bring back the draft. Would have been political suicide. And Wilkie gave him cover to do it in the campaign, mm-hmm. uh, which was a great act of patriotism because they could both see Hitler coming. Yeah, listen, there's a great book, by the way, by an old colleague of mine, Steve Neal, right. who uh, worked at the Chicago Sun-Times uh, about Wendell Wilkie, and I uh, and I highly recommend it. And, you know, as you point out, Wilkie uh, was a guy who put country above party uh, when the country was in desperate need of it. And uh, that's a good example uh, that I wish more would follow today. He also came out of nowhere to win the nomination in the old convention rules and was ahead, was beating FDR, but took some unpopular positions for the good of the country. I I love that Roosevelt called him. He was, you know, a Wall Street guy, but he was from Indiana and... uh, and, and announced in Indiana, and uh, Roosevelt called him the barefoot boy from Wall Street. So I love that. <laughs> Murphy, too, would you would you put McCain on, on that list? I mean, obviously, there were a couple of different times that he ran, not always ideal, once against a stalwart name in the party, and another time because of the, the drag on the Republican Party in, in yeah. 2008, and then ultimately— I would have, particularly in 2000. Yeah. When he was at the peak, in my view, of his McCainian powers, he would have been tremendous. He would have been a handful <laughs> as president. Yeah. Wouldn't have been dull, but he, yes, I, I should have added him to the list. Uh, the tragedy of John McCain is that he couldn't be, when he finally was the nominee, he couldn't be the candidate he was in 2000 because he had to mortgage so much just to be the nominee of the party. And, yeah, uh, and he knew it too. Yeah. All right, let's keep going here. Oh, here's a good communist one for you guys from John. How is asking millions of citizens to start paying student loans again, means testing, but you can explain that, and cutting off the child tax credit at the start of an election year winning strategy for the Dems in 2022? Gibbs? Well, it's not. It's it's not a strategy, but it's also not what the Democrats are trying to do. I mean, obviously, they want to see the child tax credit extended. I I will say when it comes to student loans, um, I, I think what what the question refers to is restarting um, the paying of student loans. And look, I mean, I, I don't I don't think you can take a student loan thinking that somehow somebody's going to wipe it off the books later on. Yeah, and so much of it goes to wealthy families. You got to close that loophole. You don't want to forgive their loans. Michael asks: Is there any way to use our votes against the infrastructure bill successfully against those ours? It's interesting because you knew as soon as that bill passed. I mean, it's incredible that uh, guys like Fred Upton, Republicans who voted for the infrastructure bill, would get death threats for voting for roads and bridges. But uh, it was it was inevitable that Republicans would also begin taking credit as they are. Uh, for the infrastructure improvements that are going to begin flowing uh, here. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that uh, I, would, I would take a run at, you know, I'd certainly test the idea that they voted against, you know, fixing I whatever or. It was common sense to put the infrastructure bill ahead of party politics. And I think you can run that against them. Speaking of Fred Upton, did you see that, um, his tweet after the Mansion uh, Build Back Better uh, uh, death uh, tweeted out that uh, um, he was right all along, and and this was a little bit of a response to Trump in uh, decoupling uh, Build Back Better and infrastructure and getting infrastructure without Build Back Better. So yes. it's a cognizant campaign thing. Score one for uh, Fast Fred there uh, in southwestern Michigan, a dear old friend. But you're right. They're, they're a politics. I'd, I'd do a billboard campaign, which all consultants hate billboards, and I normally do too. But this traffic jam brought to you by the Republican Party, 26 votes against infrastructure over the last five years. They have some fun. Murphy, do you think uh, Christian wants to know, is there sub, some subsection of conservative elected officials inside the party who will eventually leave and create their own party if Trump and company keep winning primaries and chasing out the old loyalists? In other words, will the GOP have its own Whig moment? 
if things it could uh, keep going? Are they going to wig out? A lot of talk about it. I mean, some of us are doing this common sense party thing in California to kind of test the idea because the stakes in California are frankly low. It's so democratic. You can check that out online. And there's talk of a third party. But right now the appetite is to go duke it out through the primary season. See, help Mary Cheney, some of the other people, Fred Upton, who who were courageous on that. And I got to say, funny story today about Alabama where Mo Brooks, who literally couldn't win a battle of wits with a uh, sea turtle. Uh, is I don't know Trump- how he got separated from Larry and Curly, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, that's an insult to the Stooges. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this knucklehead's running as the Trump-endorsed guy, but of course Trump meets the more mainstream, still super conservative Republican candidate who's a smart, attractive woman who works for um, uh, Senator Shelby, big political giant in that state, whose husband was an Alabama football star, played in the NFL. And, of course, Trump falls in love. So now he's undercutting his own guy in a great karmic move there. Brooks could definitely lose that primary to, to Britt, the, the uh, more mainstream Alabama candidate, which still, we're not talking Lowell Weicker here, so you guys won't like her, but she'd be a big improvement over Brooks. So, you know, there are, there are green shoots, but it's going to be a long brawl, and if it is hopeless and the results in the primary cycle are low, I would not be surprised in 2024 if he's the nominee to see a breakaway party. Here's a word from an Alabamian. Go ahead. And Shelby has been raising money without a contested election for probably two or three cycles. And the story the Post broke earlier this year that he's going to use that campaign account to help her. So uh, millions of she, dollars. She is she's she's wealthy to begin with, and she's going to have uh, Shelby's cash. And she's a good candidate. Check her TV yeah. ads out. She, she yeah. understands message. So I guess the bottom line is for you MAGA folks is Trump is with you until he's not. Right, exactly, exactly. So, you know, ah, there's karma. Now, yeah. here's a question from David. Uh, Rod, you weren't supposed to send a question, but I'll read <laughs> your, your obvious question here. I'm confused about vice presidential polling. A recent poll shows Kamala Harris' job approval at just 43%. What are these responders basing their opinion on? I consider myself a political junkie and have no idea what Kamala is doing most of the time. In your opinion, what makes a good VP and how should they be fairly judged? Well, on the on the uh, polling question, beats the shit out of me. I have no idea how people make these judgments. But uh, in terms of what a good vice president is, I actually think Joe Biden is a good example of what a good vice president is. He was uh, impeccably loyal in public. He was uh, uh, unflinchingly honest and private. Uh, he took on some very tough assignments for the president, uh, including the uh the Recovery Act, negotiating the new regime in uh, Iraq, uh, negotiating uh, the equally difficult job of negotiating with Mitch McConnell uh, during the lame duck session in 2010 when we had the most productive lame duck session probably ever after we got our asses kicked in the midterms. Uh, you know, he was a great vice president, and uh, and I, I think uh, everyone gives you were there. I mean, you you witnessed the same thing, absolutely. And I would say uh, for not you, David Axrod, but David the questioner, <laughs> your answer is in the question. You have no idea what Kamala is doing most of the time. That's why her approval rating is low. You don't know what she's doing. You knew what Al Gore was doing. You knew what Joe Biden was doing because they had a platform and they used it well. One thing, though, also on polling. And this is a result of our polarization, right? Joe Biden is going to reach a level of polarization and 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 and, and uh, a level that we haven't seen. The next president will increase that. The next president after that will increase that because, quite frankly, it it doesn't matter who the vice president is. We all go to our political corners, so that explains one of the reasons the numbers yeah. are always going to be low. But secondarily, the answer is in the question: when if you don't know what they're doing, then that's why their numbers are low. You know, the question about respondents reminds me of a great old Arthur Finkelstein story, the Republican pollster. Uh, one day he was presenting a poll to Jesse Helms, and he said, well, 50%, you know, give you an unfavorable opinion. And Helms was like, 50%, half of 600 people, 300, give me an unfavorable opinion. That, that's right, sir. I would like their names. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we've all had politicians yeah. who kind of think that way. Uh, so Glenn says, what's the point of stripping the Gosars and Greens of the House committee assignments, of their House committee assignments? Aren't they simply replaced by other reliable R votes and it just gives them more time to rabble rouse and fundraise 
which is the whole point of being in Washington in the first place as far as they're concerned. It's an interesting question. It is. I think about this a lot because you know, I mean, you know what's going to happen. Every norm you, you blow up never can be reassembled. So, you know, when McCarthy, they're already promising when McCarthy becomes speaker, if he becomes speaker in 2023, then, you know, uh, you know, goodbye, Il- Ilhan Omar, goodbye, you know, someone else there, there's going to be. But what do you do when members post uh, videos saying they're going to kill you right. know, showing them killing another yeah. member. What do you do with the multiple things that Marjorie Taylor Greene does every f- single day to, you know, that, that, that are not just debasing, but dangerous? Well, shame used to work on politicians pre-Trump. And now we have the shameless wing. So being stripped of the committee, they're great. They have more time to s- sign crazy direct mail and go to kook rallies. Uh, it's a real problem. Yeah, but they miss out on the opportunity, though, as we all know. Those committee assignments are generally done uh, because some some committee assignment will benefit the district you represent, and they don't have the ability to do that. And and that's uh, that may not catch up with them the first day, but I think the hope is that over time that it will. Andy looks pretty interesting here. In which countries outside the U.S. do you all think it would be most interesting to work on a campaign and why? I think we've all worked around the world. Um, I did a lot of Eastern Europe, ready to notch, uh, check that one off. I had fun. Um, I'm kind of in, uh, I'm, I'm interested in Mexico. I think it would be fun to do a presidential race there. I've dabbled in Israeli politics. I, I think this is an interesting time uh, there as well. So I'd throw that out. I would go UK. Uh, I think it would be interesting. Very short campaigns, parliamentary system, coalition governments. Uh, I think it'd be kind of interesting to do that. So Joe asks, I'm curious about your views on how much jungle primaries, that's the primaries in which people of both parties run on one ballot, uh, make a difference in moderating and then candidates. have a runoff. Uh, if yeah, and that they have a runoff. If nobody gets fifty percent. Uh, have uh, do they have a moderating influence? Uh, and do jungle po- primaries neutralize the effect of extreme partisanship that can come out of traditional party primaries? Uh, Murphy, you live in California. They have jungle primaries. Has it helped? Yeah, it has. It's not a miracle cure, but it dampens it. And I like it as a conservative because. When you have a primary market that looks nothing like the general election market, the incentives are to nominate somebody who only appeals in the primary, which is what happens here in California. Uh, or it happened here before that. When, when you have a, um, the so-called jungle primary, everybody's in the same marketplace, so it gives you more room to assemble a coalition. Now, the problem is the base energy, the money, the threat of a spoiler candidate purist cutting into your coalition are all very real. So it doesn't make a massive difference, but it does give you more room to maneuver, and an adroit candidate should be able to exploit that. So I'm for jungle primaries. I like it. I also I, I'm I'm interested in ranked choice voting, uh, which you know a few places Maine has used it. New York City, even New though it was City. very confusing. Yes, but it did have a moderating uh, effect. I I think. How about this one? Just for laughs, literally, Dennis. In the Hacks on Tap movie, who plays each of you and why them? Now, I, I, Gibbs, you might have been. Axe and I have both been played in, in movies few people watched. Uh, yeah. You were in something, and there was a guy who didn't was I didn't think particularly well cast. <laughs> yes. I, I was in the C. Arnold Run movie in a hilarious scene or two uh, where I had to cringe to watch it. But Pat Skipper. Uh, played me, who's a character actor out in Hollywood. And my friends all say he, you know, to, I would say his shame to maybe his credit got, had me down. But uh, I'd probably go for bigger star this time. I once got asked for an autograph. Actually, it's happened twice. People thought it was Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, (laughs) yes, that's who I would have picked for you. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I literally got stopped on the street. Yeah, and this is a funny Phil Hoffman story. When the Democratic Convention was New York, he was walking down the street. I think he lived in the village. He's a tremendous actor. Um, you can see him in a lot of stuff. Unfortunately, passed away. And a CNN crew pulled over in a van, jumped out, and interviewed him, thinking he was me. <laughs> and I'm told he was a little bit displeased. But, uh, yeah, I guess I'll go with the ghost of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Tremendous actor. Wait, what movie were you in, Axe, and who played you? I was in some movie about Fox, and there was an actor who nobody knows who who 
played me and it was uh, like a, did a kind of caricature of the creepy political consultant a villain mustache you look like lawrence barrett the great old time political correspondent you know uh yeah. in that but it was the ales movie they did i think on showtime with, uh, uh, yeah gotcha the crow playing ales. i was hoping for george clooney and i and it, it just it just never happened for me, you know. So I was, uh, well, I was careful what you wish for, because if you've ever seen the actually kind of fun movie City Hall with Al Pacino playing a mayor in New York, which is kind of a fun politics movie, John Cusack is horribly miscast as like a young Carville, and I'm sure James is in therapy trying to get over watching that. Fritz Hollings was in that movie. Oh, he was. Yeah, you're he always plays, he, he he plays a senator. Pretty good casting, I would say. When I was a younger. Um, and when he was younger and in all in the family, I'd get in a cab like in New York and people would say, you're the meathead. You're, you're Rob Reiner. And I, and I could not convince yeah. him that I wasn't. So uh, I guess I, it could have been, uh, been him as well. But Gibbs, what about you? I'm going to say, obviously, Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> okay, Perfect, yes. fellow NC Stater. I'm going to go. I mean, obviously, the 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 cunning intelligence and wit of Zach Galifianakis. Okay, enough of that. That's and by the way, box office could reach the hundreds of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I think we should hold out. Maybe that should be our wish for 2022: the Hacks on Tap movie. Let's put it this way: we have been approached by high level representatives to possibly tour next year during the elections put us out on yeah. the road and theaters so uh that could be fun we're gonna have merchandise but after making that offer they're no longer high level executives <laughs> yeah, no but, exactly we're, you know, we're 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 gonna be right there with um woody allen on ice i got a couple more that i want to just squeeze in here i was interested in hearing from jeff and not jeff fox our yeah i was gonna say excellent top-notch engineer who, who makes this all happen w when's allison's question allison has her imprint on everything <laughs> i was interested in hearing the statistic that there are currently only six senators that are in the opposing party that did not carry the presidential vote for their state how has that number changed over the years the answers dramatically yep. it used to be very common for people to get elected from states that voted for a president of a different party. Just think about this. 1972, Richard Nixon won 49 states, and Democrats had a 54-seat majority in the Senate. I mean, that would never happen today. The death of ticket splitting, which still exists, but at a much smaller level because we're all so tribal now, and you know the collective IQ of the voters has gone down 50 because they just grab one side and scream. Well, and look out for 2022, where yeah. the six or seven closest presidential states all have U.S. Senate races. So buckle up. Exactly. Yeah. Susan, why isn't anybody talking about Gavin Newsom for president in 2024? I've been because I think he could be a contender if Biden doesn't run for reelection. Keep an eye on him. Yeah, well, I have to think he's thinking about it. He's oh, talking yeah. about it, Susan. I'm I'm sure that's true. Hey, now that I go ahead, go let ahead, me Gibbs. ask one from this. I I think this will give you know we're we're trying to wrap up here for the, the toward the end of the year here. Uh, Peter asks a regular feeling I get when consuming political information is hopelessness. What hopeful <laughs> vision of the future do you give yourselves? Well, I, I tweeted today about that Mo Brooks thing. I love the fact of him going down the drain, but that's kind of schadenfreude of uh, hope. You know, the country is great despite this crap and our declining culture and everything else, so I'm not ready to count us out. I think we have a reformation. It's just going to take a while. It's going to be grim for a bit. Well, and we have the tools of reformation, even though they're yeah. being corroded and corrupted now, we have to fight for them. Right. But we do have the ability to, to, to change things, and the biggest, uh, the biggest threat, to our democracy and the biggest threat uh, to uh, to a better future is cynicism and and surrendering to it and believing that we can't change things. So I hope everybody hangs in there and just redoubles uh, their commitment uh, yeah. to use all the tools yeah. democracy affords us. Yeah, fight, 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 fight. And I would just add on the on the back of that cynicism is if you look at history, uh, as bad as and as hopeless as it may feel right now. There have been far darker time periods in our history, and we've emerged from those uh, stronger and better and more resilient, and uh, I think that will happen again. Yeah, we had to fight a civil war in one of them, but that's uh, that's neither here nor there. Go ahead, That's uh, what I mean. It was 
it was less hopeful. No, no. Yeah. And all we ask our politicians to do now is defend the Constitution, not land on Anzio Beach. So maybe we can raise them to the level of our democracy. And the voters ought to demand more. Now, I think we got one more from Gibbs to end the Yeah, I really series. wanted to answer this one from James. It says, I start in, interning for a senator next month. Do you have any advice as I start my career in politics? I uh, I started as an intern on Capitol Hill uh, the summer of 1991. Great summer. I knew after about two hours I wanted to come back to Capitol Hill. James, let me give you the advice. Just do whatever they need you to do. If they need you to answer the phone, be the best phone answerer you've ever been. If they yep. need you to give tours of the Capitol, study that sheet like I did and be the best tour guide you possibly can. If you get the right constituent mail, volunteer to stay late and do more of it. You yep. have an opportunity to show somebody how eager and willing and able you are to help, and it can give you an amazing start. If they need you to run, o- if they need you to run over and straighten Joe Manchin out, do it. I mean, don't question <laughs> it, but leave a will. <laughs> no, hustle is the key to politics. I have all these kids come up. Well, yeah. uh, I went to Harvard, or you know, I went to Georgetown, whatever. That's all great, but the Kansas State kid who knows that 8 o'clock in the morning in politics really means 7 o'clock. Be there. Be ahead of it. Hustle. Take every job. Have no ego. Outwork everybody. Politics is wide open for you. And enjoy the Hill. It's an amazing place. I started as an intern there, too. So, guys, here's my a message for the end of the year. I, the thing that I'm most looking forward to in 2022, I know there's a lot of things to be concerned about, is I get to chat with you, Jamokes, uh, once a week. And uh, I'm looking forward to that because there can be a lot to talk Speaking about. Speaking of hopeful to... days ahead, Axe. Yeah, exactly. No, me too. This is a fun show. Thank you all for listening. I apologize yeah. if we didn't get to your question. Blame Joe Manchin, the time hog, but we will work through these going forward. And Gibbs and I are going to do an all question. We're going to pull some of these. If you didn't hear yours on the hacksontap.bulletin.com uh, newsletter. And I just want to thank you two guys for loving the country more than political war so we can all disagree here but do it in an agreeable way and i i love doing this podcast and thank you for being you you two to both of you and let me just say murphy the 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 look the smile on your face when <laughs> when when the commerce Aww. secretary jumped onto our uh, our zoom here as we were taping man yeah i am i am cuckoo for smart highly competent people when i learned as governor she wrote her own computer code to fix a medicare problem I said why the hell don't we get a hundred more people like that in both parties because <laughs> we finally act like the superpower we we are finally i want to hang a lantern on one thing yeah yeah she's tremendous uh i want to hang one final lantern as we sign off here for the year you heard it when we went running by not only the potential touring but merch we finally pulled it off hoodies sweatshirts in fact i believe our t-shirts are going to be american made which will cut into our profit so it's controversial among the three of us but <laughs> but on the hacksontap.com website soon why don't you just pitch it like this the three of us needed to solve the entire global supply chain and we have right. done it we did it before we go we should also thank Jeff, yeah. Hannah, and Allison, because let's be honest, if it weren't for the three of them, we would never log on, we would never record, and the whole thing would never, quite frankly, play every Tuesday where you hear and listen to your podcast. And we'd probably be fending off libel suits, too. That's true. Without those guys, David would still be yelling into a mic on MySpace trying to do episode one. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, gang. He only recently gave up his uh, AOL email address. <laughs> no, he still has an 8-track in the Vega. I've seen it. David, you've got mail. Love you guys. Have a great holiday, everybody. All right. Happy holidays, everyone. See you next year. 